0: Welcome to Always West Seattle, the podcast where the people, places, and stories of West Seattle come together. I'm your host, Keith Bacon. In this episode, we talk to Tracy Record of West Seattle Blog for the origin story of her essential local news outlet and Lars Fujikawa of the semi-mysterious Delridge Maritime Historical Society about their tribute to a notorious name in West Seattle history. But first, we've got another new segment. It's called Tastemakers, and in it, we'll sink our teeth into the stories behind West Seattle's most beloved and iconic food and beverage offerings. To kick things off, we'll start with a popular cocktail that's a homegrown twist on a legendary classic, the West 5 Mai Tai. To learn more about it, we spoke with West 5 bartender Sidney Sumi and owner Dave Montour. Where did the recipe or idea
1: for a West 5 Mai Tai originate? The Mai thai recipe was always a signature. It's been on the menu since day one. We knew we wanted to have a, a really good Mai Tai. It ties in with that sort of mid-century theme that we've been beholden to. So the Mai Thai recipe was an amalgam of some of the favorites that had been discovered along the way. It's definitely not a Trader Vicks. It's not the lime-heavy Mai Thai that you're familiar with the Trader Vicks, which is probably, you know, one of the best in the world.
2: The Trader vix Mai Tai is probably the most popular or most famous Whenever anybody would ask what's in our Mai Tai mix, I mean, I'm just like, what are you looking for? At one point we had on the menu that it's guarded by vipers.
0: So can you tell us how to make one or what goes in it or will the vipers come out and attack?
2: <laughs> we have two different types of rum in the Mai Tai and it's Bacardi Gold that we use for the base. And then our Mai Tai mix, which is orange juice, a little bit of apple juice, lemon juice, pineapple juice, and then Orgite, which is like an almond syrup. And then creme de noyo, which is also a liqueur.
1: And we do get fresh juice and we've been getting it from the same supplier for our 18 years of history. He's a local purveyor, old school juice company, SK, old school juice company, Larry. He's a boy from Hawaii. So it does have a little bit more island connection to it.
0: And it definitely is very orange forward, which is very unique. And, and I, I really like it.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of people who have had Mai Tais, you know, when they go to Hawaii and they're like, well, I never really you know, liked a Mai Tai. And that's how I was. But our Mai Tai at West 5 is more citrusy forward. So I just assure people, just, if you hate it, you can send it back. But they never get sent back. <laughs> Sometimes if people are more on the sweeter, like they like the sweeter Mai Tais. We'll just put a little float of grenadine in there and it usually will solve that. But the Myers dark rum float is what we put on the top and it's to stir or not to stir is the question. Either (laughs) you let it all simmer down and when you're at the bottom of it, you have the dark rum that's just been like sitting on top of that ice and all the flavors of the Mai Tai. Back before Seattle got rid of all the plastic, we had those awesome stir sticks and people would just keep all those stir sticks. So when COVID happened and we had to shut down, we pulled out a bunch of the old vintage stir sticks and we made a survival Mai Tai kit and those ones are going fast. That's been our lifesaver during this shutdown is the Mai Tai survival kits. We
1: did it as tongue-in-cheek thinking that people needed the Mai Tais to survive the pandemic. It actually quickly turned into a business survival Mai Tai kit as well so we're We're thankful that we had the support of the the loyal Mai Tai contingent out there in West Seattle.
0: When it's served in person at West 5, it's served in a very unique glass. What's the story behind that?
2: Yeah, well, the the tiki glass. So there's a happy face on one side and a sad face on the other. And you just flip it over when it's empty. (laughs) And then, yeah, one's angry, one's happy. But the tiki glass is meant to spark escapism. And I think that sometimes in Seattle, it gets dark and wet and Anything that's served in a tiki glass is just going to take you right to the beach.
0: Absolutely. Do you serve anything else in those glasses?
2: We also have a zombie. That's also a Trader Vic's rum recipe. Trader Vic is like the patron saint of West 5, I think, wouldn't you say, Dave?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, Sid wow. on. Is the They call him Trader Vic, and uh, he opened a place called Hinky Dinks in Oakland back in the 50s. Uh, it was a 43, I think. <laughs>
2: I just looked it up. It's actually 1937 when it turned into Trader Vic's from Hinky Dinks. Yeah, yeah
1: so you got the history right there in front of you. But yeah, he is in, indeed the, the patron saint of West 5. In fact, the company's name that owns West 5 is called Sitting at Vic's because that's how the company was formed. It was formed Sitting at a Trader Vic's. <laughs> I love that.
0: Yeah, I didn't know that. That's great.
1: So how can people get their hands on a West5 Mai Tai kit? Order online at west5.com. We have a really nice, uh, convenient e-commerce site. You can order it right then, and we'll have it ready for you in 10 minutes. Or if you want to pick it up on Friday, schedule it for pickup on Friday. We'll have it ready for you to pick up. We sell the full kit, which comes with your glassware. And then we have a smaller version, which is just a set. And that's just the facts, ma'am. That's rum, Mai Tai mix, and orange and some cherries. And uh, it comes with a nice little instruction card, so there's no question about how to make the perfect Mai Tai at home. And it's a nice little setup, and it's also priced for the neighborhood, neighborhood-friendly pricing on those.
2: Like Dave said, it's super easy ordering, and it goes right to our computers. There's no third-party or anything. It's a really cool thing that we have on there. Our Mai tais are available in the survival kit, which is, what, $75? And that's, you get two glasses, you get Lay's, and those vintage stir sticks. And then the Mai tai set without the glasses is 50. The refills are 15. And that's just the juice. It's a quart container of the Viper guarded recipe. And that's all available on our online website. And I think that we're running out fast on those vintage stir sticks.
1: Yeah, the vintage Mm. stir sticks are in very short supply. So those are going to probably last us through maybe through the anniversary in February.
2: Yeah, we're turning 18 in February.
1: Well,
0: there's something to celebrate and also a nice way to collect a little piece of West Seattle history and support a local business and bring a little tropical escape into your life.
2: Escapism. It's been beautiful here lately, but when it gets dark, it's always nice to have a tiki.
0: My tide take me away.
2: Mai Tai take me away I love that
0: (laughs) Thanks so much for sharing the stories And the secrets And I'll keep my eyes peeled for those vipers The next time (laughs) I
1: come in Thank you Keith You know it's been an honor to to serve these Mai Tais Throughout the years And the fact that it's become iconic in the neighborhood It's a sense of pride I know for Sydney and for for myself for sure
0: West 5 is open every day but Sunday Noon to 8pm Can't wait to be back there for happy hour Hopefully that time is coming soon I moved to the Alaska Junction area in 2005, the same year of an even more monumentous arrival to the neighborhood, the West Seattle Blog. Today it's practically impossible to imagine life in West Seattle without the blog, keeping us informed on everything happening on our fair peninsula. From breaking news to bake sales, lost pets to crime sprees. This nearly 24-hour-a-day news source is run by just two people, husband and wife duo Patrick Sand and Tracy Record. In this first part of my interview with editor and co-publisher Tracy, we'll hear the origin story of West Seattle Blog, how much it's grown, and what they've learned along the way. Whenever I describe you and West Seattle Blog, I always mention the fact that you used to work in TV news because I think it really says a lot about your approach to following and gathering the news. Could you talk a little bit about that part of your career?
3: It's both a good thing and a bad thing, um, depending on your view of of TV news. Mm The one thing that I think it, it really works for here is that I learned how to write and report in very concise, simple compact terms, as opposed to, I I did work in newspapers as well when I was very, very, very young. And that tends to train you into a very long, elaborate, detailed, and, and certainly some of what we cover, especially meetings, are long and detailed for people who want that. But for TV, there's an immediacy, there's a simpleness. Most of what I've shirked off since then, though, is the sensationalism, because part of that is part of why I left TV in the first place, was I didn't want any part of that anymore.
0: What were the other reasons you left that behind?
3: It just wasn't really covering the sort of thing that I I felt that, you know, my energies were best suited toward. There was, you know, even if not sensational, there was a whole lot of emphasis on either man on the street or interview people who were victims of crimes or had some other reason to, you know, weep into the camera and microphone. And I always felt I was the lucky one. I got to be the in-office manager who ordered other people to go out and do that dirty work. Uh-huh. And I didn't really feel I could, you know, live with myself too much longer with that mm-hmm. anymore.
0: How did the idea of starting West Seattle Blog come to be?
3: It was around... 2005 at some point, and I was looking around for some place where people were talking about West Seattle Online. It's it's hard to believe now, given social media and everything else that's exploded in the ensuing 15 years. But at that time, there wasn't any real discussion going on anywhere. It, it there seemed to have been maybe some earlier forums that were around the turn of the millennium and they kind of petered out. And so I started this site and I thought, OK, well, I'll start my own little website with a little WordPress theme and I'll just post some stuff that, you know, I'm observing in this place where I've lived uh, for, you know, for some years by, by then and see what happens. And so about six months went by and finally somebody discovered it and it sort of started to snowball and then came the 2006 windstorm. And then the year after that was the transitional year where we finally decided to make a go of this and turn it into an actual news site.
0: What were some of the biggest challenges in those early years of West Seattle Blog?
3: The the biggest challenge was that until I quit my TV job in 2007, um, we decided to do the site anonymously. And yet in the transitional year from 2006 to 2007, I still needed to gather information and so I would contact people and I would contact them anonymously. <laughs> some people would be okay with that because apparently, um, as they'd say, you know, we, we proved ourselves by what it was that we were doing. But then there were some people, I well, one person I won't, uh, I won't name her, but uh, I greatly respect her. She's someone that, uh, that I talk to often now. And she said, I am not dealing with anyone whose identity I do not know. <laughs> and so that was one of the things that that happened in the year of getting off the ground.
0: Do you think that may have inadvertently developed some sort of mystique around you or the West Seattle blog, people not knowing who you were or what you were about?
3: Oh yeah, the when we finally went public after I quit my TV job, it was just 2 days later on December 11th, 2007, not that I, you know, remember the, the date or anything. <laughs> and we decided to uncloak And some people said, oh, bummer, we had this such the guessing game going on for a year. You know, who is that? And somebody thought it was their dentist and someone thought it was someone else, people that we'd never known or or heard of. And certainly we were certainly nobody that anyone had ever heard of. I, I remember when I published the item that said, "Okay, we're going to tell you who we are, I made it a separate hop so that if anybody didn't want to know they didn't have to click
0: <laughs> and did anyone say to you like oh I, I thought maybe it was you or i didn't i knew it all along
3: um since we've been we somewhat have long kept to ourselves there there wasn't really much of anybody although i think um if i recall correctly somebody that i used to work with in tv said yeah was starting to get suspicious because by that point, once in a while, something we'd report on WSB would actually come up in an editorial meeting where I was sitting in a TV station and I'd just be sitting there going dum dum de, dum de, dum dum. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> Looking back, is there anything that you would do differently if you could?
3: Oh, absolutely, I would not have included the word blog in the name.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> a lot of people misunderstand. In my early days of telling people about it, they, yeah, they would think like it's a blog. And and that's why I would bring up your TV news background, you know, to say like, this is, this is news. This is, you know, everything.
3: That's, that's exactly uh, it. We, you know, it's way too late now for a while. We toyed with the idea of, well, we could change the name. We might. And then when you look at at other branding efforts, large and small, over the years where somebody has taken what it was a relatively successful brand and just for who knows why tried to change the name, I've never seen that end terribly well. So we said, okay, we'll live with it. it. You know, it is what it is. And people who who read the site know what it is. So...
0: To the point, ironically, I guess, where a lot of West Seattleites just refer to it as the blog. You know, I saw it on the blog.
3: Exactly. And if we change the name to something else, once we talked about, well, it could be West Seattle Bulletin. That's a that'd still be WSB. And we realized people would still call it the blog, whether because that's the publication format we chose or because that's how they've always known it. So, you know, what's the point?
0: What's your typical audience reach these days?
3: You know, you can measure those things in multiple ways. You can look at, um, you know, unique users per month, and that's usually in, in triple digits. Um, this year, in terms of page views, we've gone over 20 million for the year for wow. the first time ever. It, it, we were previously averaging. 1 million or more page views per month. And that was, you know, pretty, pretty darn good. Um, especially Mm -hmm. because we, you know, fight really hard to, you know, to keep people coming back to the website. Mm -hmm. Um, but this year with the bridge and the pandemic, it just totally went through the roof as of March and it hasn't really come back down.
0: How has the pandemic affected the way that you do your job?
3: That's been really challenging. Um, Patrick and I talk about it, um, a lot, how for one, it's it's dramatically cut down on the, the type of things that we would previously cover because there are no events. Mm-hmm. Event coverage was a real hallmark of, of what we did, whether it was Summerfest or it was a 5K or, you know, a Santa photo session. Events big and small were a really big thing, both writing calendar blurbs about them, previews about them, then covering the actual events. Sometimes there'd be a, a post-performance thing like, hey, wow, you remember that big thing last weekend? Guess what we found out about it? And all of that has just been out the window. So, for one, it's been a big change in material. For two, um, because we're we're not exactly spring chickens, and there's some pre-existing conditions, we've tried dramatically to limit what we've done in person, mm-hmm. and it's meant a lot of. Um, what I call drive by photography more than ever like exterior of building pull up you know shoot camera out car window and, and keep moving
0: <laughs> back uh pre pandemic times i mean you did cover so many meetings and presentations and events and hearings and i always wondered like what how do you schedule your day how do you manage to do it all
3: generally there haven't been too many overlaps there there you know during the heyday of community meetings um there would be you know two or three sometimes on the same day night. And so Patrick would cover one and I'd cover the other, but everything else, um, you know, managed to happen. I do a lot of work and, and still do, and certainly lends itself to the pandemic era by email. And the cool thing about that is that I tend to be more of a, far more of a night person. So I can send people notes or ask questions and notes and things at, you know, one o'clock in the morning, um, as opposed to everything having to be during a you know, nine to five type of window. Also, Gmail enables you to schedule things, so if there's a question I'd want to ask somebody in government at 1 o'clock in the morning, I can schedule the note to go out at 8 a.m. and still write it at 1 a.m.
0: When I talk about West Seattle blog with other people, something that is very common for people who read it and follow it is um, if you're in West Seattle and you smell smoke or you hear a siren or you see a UFO landing, the first place you go to is West Seattle blog or your Twitter feed, and there will probably be the answer for it. And people jokingly always say, like, does she ever sleep? And do you ever sleep?
3: Oh, absolutely. More than uh, more than previously, really, that the one time which is is an absolutely terrible time for something to happen, and we rely on people texting us or something, is uh, the window between, oh, say, 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. Patrick gets up early, and I stay up late, and so there's usually somebody, you know, within earshot of the scanner the rest of the time. Earlier this month, there were a couple of things that happened in that window, and it was just darn, you know, luck. There was a car went into the water off of Alki, and uh, nobody texted, and so it was like it never happened, and I felt really bad about that, but... Uh, <laughs> That's like one miss in a, you know, year of hundreds of events. So
0: it's yeah. every so often. And it really is for the most part, just you and Patrick doing all of this.
3: Us, but also, you know, the, the community. Um, and again, that's something that I, I try like hell not to ever take for granted and to appreciate so much because so many things come in by text or by email Just moments ago, somebody sent me a picture of a development sign that went up at a site that's been idle for a couple of years. And without that, we'd we'd be nothing. I mean, I have places where I go to look up things online, to try to get on the head end of something, or we also take a, a drive around most afternoons to see if anything catches our eye, you know, a sign or a, a building or a project somewhere. But so much comes from people who actually, you know, it's it's their neighborhood. So they know if something changes.
0: Could you guesstimate like what percentage of the stories that you end up running come from a tip?
3: It'd probably be close to 60% at least, um, I'd say. Um, I may be underestimating that because it it varies wildly. But that's, you know, wake up in the morning and see what's what's in the inbox. And it's, you know, some, something as simple as I found a bicycle that somebody obviously abandoned on our corner. So can you post it and see if it's something that somebody had stolen from them? And then it's really exciting when that actually works out and, and things get reunited or the development sign, or somebody noticed some other change. Um, and it's it's really great to be able to Either find out the information or debunk a rumor, um, because that's something that, that, you know, at least my research skills can be applied to.
0: About how many emails, texts, or posted comments do you field on an average day?
3: Well, those are, you know, they come in from all channels, um, two email accounts, which probably have 100 good messages, you know, not counting the spam, which takes an increasing amount of time to just, you know, delete Mm. and so forth. Um, Comments varies wildly on whether there's something that's, you know, worth chatting about or not. Often the average is about 100 a day. And then, of course, there's tweets and, you know, somebody might send something in direct message or just a, you know, an at notification or something. And that's usually a dozen or two dozen. It really depends on what's going on, especially if there's something like a power outage or a storm, and then there's a a ton of contributors, which is really great. We had that big weather event just one week ago today, and there was all sorts of people sending flooding videos or pictures, um, which is good because otherwise the problem is we can't really leave the, the base on a time like that, or we'd get stuck in it probably.
0: My interview with Tracy Record continues in the next episode of Always West Seattle, where we talk about dealing with commenters, misconceptions, and what the future holds. From the file of things you likely wouldn't know without the West Seattle blog, a statue was recently erected at the base of the broken West Seattle Bridge as an unofficial shrine to a man who some might describe as the person who made our bridge possible in the first place. To learn more about this homage to our local history, we spoke with tongue planted firmly in cheek to one Lars Fujikawa of the so-called Delridge Maritime Historical Society. What's the history of the Delridge Maritime Historical
4: Society? Not a lot of history to it, actually. Generally speaking, we've been trying to make the North Delridge, specifically Pigeon Point neighborhood, a little more interesting over the last, I don't know, five, six years. Mm -hmm. Never really had a name until Rolf came along.
0: Uh Uh-huh. Rolf was was the rallying cry?
4: Yeah. Rolf is such a... Do you know much about Rolf Nesland?
0: That was one of my questions for you is Mm -hmm. about this bust that was recently erected underneath (laughs) the West Seattle Bridge, which the Delridge Maritime Historical Society created in conjunction with the Center for General Annoyance, from what I've read on the West Seattle blog, uh, to create a shrine and garden of commuter despair, recognizing Rolf (laughs) Nesland. Who was Rolf Nesland and why is he important to memorialize?
4: The original West Seattle Bridge, to take a little history lesson here, was a lower span about where the Spokane Street Bridge is now. And it really was disliked by the people of West Seattle because even in the 50s, 60s, they would have traffic backups. In the mid-70s, the city fathers of West Seattle got a a high-level bridge financed by the state of Washington, but there were kickbacks and bribery involved. The state speaker of the house actually went to prison for it, Uh and the whole project was shelved. But when they shelved it, they had this one caveat. It was like, if there is an emergency the federal government would come in and build a new bridge. Okay. And just a couple months later, five o'clock in the morning, an 80 year old alcoholic Norwegian ship captain piloting the Antonio Chavez, a freighter, rams the upright bridge. Nobody gets hurt. The bridge is rendered completely useless and Imagine this, the federal government has to jump in.
0: <laughs> Coincidence?
4: And Rolf Nesland was that 80-year-old alcoholic ship captain. We've just speculated over many beers over mm-hmm. the years that, that there had to have been like a deeper story here. I think it would make like an amazingly interesting film noir <laughs> of a bunch of maybe real estate investors who want to uh, buy up a lot of cheap real estate in West Seattle because you can't get there from here decide to pay off the probably oldest sea captain piloting ships in the, in the Puget Sound mm-hmm. to go out and end his career on a high note, so to speak. <laughs> and the other thing is, is, Rolf, his life went downhill from there. There's a book actually about the crime of his murder, mm. like a year later by his wife, uh-huh. supposedly over, quote unquote, pension money, huh. which pension money, really? Is not a suitcase full of crisp $100 bills buried in the backyard or something. Oh, yeah. Yes, he's murdered by his wife, cut up into pieces, burned in a burning barrel behind the house, and dumped in a pig field. Wow. Yeah, and they finally figured this out by finding blood behind the ceiling tiles of the rec room and the carpeting or something like that. So mm-hmm. it's a long, horrible story. And, you know, somebody like that has to have a memorial somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> so quite frankly, from everything I've read, he was a horrible individual <laughs> Maybe who you wanted to have a memorial to but in surreal 2020, let's be honest, there are weirder things going on right now, yeah so, yeah, for
0: sure what was the reaction to the shrine after it was first installed?
4: the one that was put up down there we put up and it was people don't know people don't know what to say that sort mm-hmm. of thing, and it was stolen within four days. (laughs) So the first Rolf disappeared. Mm -hmm. And it was like, oh, okay.
0: He's out there somewhere.
4: There's got to be in someone's backyard on the back of their truck. I don't know where it is, but yeah, it disappeared pretty Mm -hmm. quick. Uh, yeah, I think that's just art criticism.
0: And what motivated you to replace it so quickly? And what did you do differently this time?
4: We did a different casting, so it's a it was a heavier, it was a heavier head, <laughs> lower center of gravity. I think someone just jumped up there and maybe tried to jump on Rolf's shoulders, and were surprised that the quarter inch plywood that uh, we originally put in it maybe broke. Ah. So it's a heavier duty installation this time. Uh-huh. Uh, so anybody who wants to get physical with Rolf is going to be a little more surprised this time, that he, he doesn't just completely bend to their will.
0: So, <laughs> Noted. Uh, what was the creative reference point for the bust of
4: Rolf? I don't know what creative reference point you have on something like that. It's just something that, <laughs> It's a silly thing that you want to do to remind uh-huh. people. Uh, it's, it's also the crisis with the, ri- the bridge we have now almost requires uh, a new Rolf to come along and just...
0: Yeah. You know, What do you think Rolf Neslin would have to say about our current situation with the bridge?
4: I don't speak Norwegian. I don't really know what he would say.
0: (laughs) Does the Delridge Maritime Historical Society have any other plans for the future?
4: We've been casting heads, not unlike Rolf's, but Uh smaller, and hiding them in the neighborhood. Um, That's the way we've been getting through the uh, pandemic. And people and kids enjoy finding them, kind of like an Easter egg hunt. How many are out in the neighborhood right now? It depends because they get stolen. So probably fifteen. Oh probably, wow. At the moment, yeah. Sometimes it was probably as high as twenty at some point. But yeah, they're cement heads. They're they're usually in ways and parkways and stairways and things like that. And all
0: over West Seattle?
4: No, all over Pigeon Point. All um, over
0: Pigeon Point. Okay. They're
4: pretty, pretty pretty local. Yeah, <laughs> we we've, we've been doing we've been doing things like taking old campaign signs and repainting them and leaving them around for years. And uh, one time, we did a, uh, a life-size Doctor Who TARDIS and stuck it over the the neighborhood entrance obelisk down in the the park on 22nd.
0: What are you hoping people will take away from a glimpse or a moment with this memorial?
4: I want them to think about what Seattle was before what we are now. Mm-hmm. But there are a lot of weird characters in, in Seattle history. Have you ever heard of Marion Zionchek? Uh, I haven't. He was the congressman from the city of Seattle in the early 30s. He was a New Deal Democrat. Uh In his second term, he went completely insane. And there are incredible, hilarious, sad stories about his his second term in office. High-functioning alcoholic, manic-depressive. Actually, there are stories of him taking over a phone switchboard and jumping into phone calls to find a woman that would actually go out with him. And then he married her. Wow. And they went to the Virgin islands on uh, a honeymoon wrecked four cars in three days and actually had the Marines have to be sent out to rescue him from a riot. (laughs) Um, And it just goes downhill from there. And he killed himself jumping out of the Arctic building in another potential conspiracy, because I think the, I think the local Democratic Party probably got a little tired of him, but that's for another time. But I'm just saying, there's a lot of there's a lot of interesting history, and Rolf and the strange, bizarre nature of his contribution to Seattle history is uh, just needs to be remembered for a minute. Mm-hmm. Seattle used to be a place where people were from. People grew up here. And it was like coming from Pittsburgh or. Fort Wayne, Indiana or something like that. And it was right. just a place you were from. And now it's a it's a stop on your resume. And <laughs> I, I it's a funny feeling. I I, I stop short of get off my lawn because fresh blood is always great. Yeah. But man, we have a history here too. The one thing about, about Rolf, and, and I just I, I hope it was a, a conspiracy and I hope someplace between here and his house where he was set on fire and dumped in the backyard that there's a suitcase of $100 bills that uh, he buried and that someone will find someday. That's my my one hope.
0: So in addition to cement heads, we should be keeping our eyes open <laughs> for a suitcase full of cash.
4: Yeah, let's hope. Yeah.
0: <laughs> That's it for this episode of Always West Seattle. You can show support for this free community podcast just by leaving a comment or review on whatever platform you're streaming from. And be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for updates. Always West Seattle is a Made with Bacon production. Interviews are edited for brevity and clarity. I'm Keith Bacon. Thanks for listening.